0: time for coffee with the chicken ladies a podcast for people who love chickens
1: hey everybody and welcome it's and holly from coffee with the chicken ladies we're here and this is episode number 21 wow oh. our podcast where we talk about everything chicken family fun and more chickens more chickens we drink a ton of coffee i'm talking a ton but most importantly, we hug chickens every day. Every day and kiss them too, don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Coffee, coffee. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? we uh, we're back to Hazelnut today. Hazelnut, one of my most favorites. If you were a big fan of delicious coffee and awesome scones and cookies and baked goods, head on over to Coffee, Coffee. You will not be disappointed. Hey. Hey, we are here late April. Yeah, we're, we're four, cruising. We are. We're four days away from the Maryland poultry Swap. Once again, we're so excited mm-hmm. to be a part of this. We're going to have our table. We're going to have some wares out there. Hey, yeah. that rhymed. Wares out there. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken lady goods. So, yeah, and we're excited about these goods. Yeah, we'll have our new teas, which are fantastic. I guess we can say it now. We've kept it under wraps for a bit. Yes, we commissioned the amazing Laurel Jackson yes. at Soulful Chickens to create two designs for us. Oh man. For our t-shirts and other merchandise down the line, and they are fantastic. They're absolutely gorgeous. It's like walking around with a piece of art. Well, that's exactly what it is. That's why we wanted her to she's do this. So for us. amazingly gifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're super, super, super excited for everyone to come down and see everything. Plus, the other good thing is they will be available online to purchase. Yeah, we'll have them on our Etsy shop, link in our Instagram bio, and on the show notes. Yep. We will also have some of our vintage goods for sale at the Etsy shop. Our farmhouse vintage corner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll be selling some of the wool from my sheep and llamas and alpacas. Yay! Lots of stuff to see and do. Plus, just come out and talk to us. We're going to be there all day. Talk chickens with us. They can talk to us, and they can walk around and look at other amazing chickens. We've been before. It's amazing. It's a good time. Lots of chickens, Mm -hmm. food, fun, music, everything. If you're interested, you can check out Green Hill Farm on Facebook and find the Maryland Poultry Spot page. They have a page with all the information, and it's in western Maryland. If you're local, Mm -hmm. come on over and see us. Yeah, fingers crossed for good weather. What's the other exciting thing that's going on with us? This is super, super, super exciting. We are celebrating 5,000 downloads. How amazing is that? Thank you to all of our fantastic listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are so excited. We're so grateful for everyone who's listening to us and being a part of this with us. We are celebrating with a garden party with all of our chickens and some of our friends. Garden party extravaganza. And we're going to be on Instagram Live. Yes. It will be appropriately socially distanced. Yes. And we are pulling out of the stops. It's going to be so much fun. Mm -hmm. And so we're just psyched about it. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be next week. Exactly. Oh, my God. How fast does the time fly? It's really fast. Yeah. And how big are our chicks now? Oh, my God. Huge. They're barely chicks anymore. (laughs) They're huge. So stay tuned on Instagram for details, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be great. Yeah. And, you know, just one more time. Thank you. Oh, my God. So much for listening, for all of your support and all of your love. Yeah. We love our fans. We have the best fans. We do. And we love it when people reach out and talk to us and message us, especially Grayson. He's just adding in his... Excitement! What a podcast! You get to hear people talk about chickens and then have their parrot making commentary in the background. <laughs> He's cheering us on. <laughs> really, when we started the podcast, we you know we wanted to talk about the things we liked, and we figured there were other like-minded people, but we were not prepared for the outpouring of love that oh. we have gotten from our listeners. You it's, all are amazing. It's awesome. Everybody that reaches out to us, we love it. Keep we it up. We have the best job in the world. It's really awesome. Yeah. Plus. Best friends of forty years and we get to hang out as grown-ups all the time. Best job in the world. And make it our work. Hey. Doesn't get better. No. But let me take a minute to tell you about Iowa Blue Farm. Farm. It's a woman owned, family run, all natural chicken treat company in the Midwest. They make one hundred percent American oven dried black soldier fly grubs for all kinds of poultry. Chickens. Turkeys. Ducks. Pheasants. Quail. Peacocks. I always eat peacocks. Any kind of poultry that you have, they love these things. They're high in calcium and protein. What about pigeons? I would think you could. Or how about doves? I don't know. You got the last one anyway. I (laughs) got So they come running for this blue bag. They're high every bite in protein and calcium they need at this time of the year. If you go and it's your first time on this website and you want to try, put in the code COFFEE, all caps, 25, and you get 25% off your first order. Which is a fantastic value. Yes. And we use these treats. This is really good quality stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Made in the United States. You know exactly what you're feeding your birds. We cannot recommend them highly enough. They're baked with love. Shipped with care. And Shop-ins. shipping is always free. More. So, it's time to move on to the... Free da- stuff. We're going to do a breed that I actually own, the Morans. Now, I'll tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, I think Morans are nice. They were never one of my favorite breeds. So I will admit that I went into the research for this breed spotlight not expecting to get sucked into the fascinating history (laughs) of this chicken. The world of the Morans. I seriously was like, I could write a book about this chicken. They are fascinating. Let me tell you something. I could write a book just about having two Morans in my backyard. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. Well, we're going to talk about the mystery of why the stepsisters act the way they do. They get it honestly. (laughs) It's genetics. Yeah, I mean, it is. (laughs) And you know what? It's a very popular breed. Yes. It's a very popular French breed of chicken that comes in several color varieties. Yeah, and I have... The Cuckoo Moran. Right. And Morans as a whole are best known for... Dark colored eggs. Dark colored eggs. Now, this cracks me up and I'm showing my age here. But Martha Stewart sort of single-handedly showed a spotlight on this breed and their beautiful dark brown eggs. She had them in the magazine. Right. And she made them popular again in a heartbeat. I mean, who doesn't like an egg that's the color of basically a chocolate... It looks like a chocolate egg. It's gorgeous. It is. Ours come out sometimes super dark sometimes a little lighter, Mm -hmm. sometimes with speckles, sometimes with stripes. Right. The one thing with the Marans, because the pigment is so dark, Mm -hmm. they have a lot of misfires. Yeah. But it happens, and the eggs are all unique. Well, the interesting thing about uh, brown eggs, as we said in one of our previous episodes. Right. It was our Easter episode. Right. We talked about how eggs get their color, and a brown egg is just a white egg with hemoglobin. Right, and it's a hemoglobin derivative. Right. Which is fascinating to me. So essentially, the Morans managed to put more hemoglobin derivative. Their levels are higher. On their eggs than any other breed. And when it's, when they're firing that stuff, when they're coming out, man, it's a turning and a spinning and all this stuff. <laughs> And they're like, Those poor hens. How am I gonna make this egg today? And it's like stripes or can you imagine what eggs would look like if hens were able to <laughs> control the pigment that they put <laughs> on them. They're like, hurry up, paint it before they get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so the Moran's are standard size birds. They're considered dual purpose. They lay dark brown eggs, like you said. They're standard, but I want to say they could be a little on the larger side. Yeah. So my two are. So we'll get into this in a minute here as we talk about the history, but it seems that breeders favored making them larger because they were dual-purpose birds. Right. And the egg color suffered because of that at a certain point in in history, but we'll talk about that more in a bit here. So they're standard-sized birds, considered dual-purpose. They lay the dark brown egg. So there are lots of color varieties of this bird. Silver cuckoos. Which are mine. Right? Golden cuckoos. The black copper which is very popular for the darkest colored They're eggs. the darkest colored eggs, right? right. There's a white, which I didn't know. I did not know that. There's also a wheat. Huh. Very pretty. The Morans have a straight comb, like medium-sized waddles and red lobes. Yes. They're very popular, obviously, in their native France, but also in the U.S. and the U.K., yeah, after talking to Fiona about chicken keeping in the U.S. and the U.K., we're uh-huh. kind of like running parallel in a lot of ways. Yeah, I believe she has the black copper. She does, and I feel like we all like the same between yeah. the U.S. and the U.K. Right? A lot. Yeah, we definitely have a lot of the same breed preferences. It's true. Definitely, you see that. Warpingtons, Brahmas, exactly. Cochins, Romans. Yeah. yeah. So in the United States, they actually really started showing up in the thirties and forties after the World Wars, right? Which I thought was interesting. In the U.K., the flocks, especially the cuckoos, have a clean leg. Yes. Where in the U.S. and the French standards, they both specify a lightly feathered leg. So strange. Mine do not have feathered legs. Right. So maybe your breeding stock was from a U.K. line? Maybe. Maybe. So the breed was developed in the coastal town of... Moran's. Moran's. (laughs) A lot of sources say the breed was developed in the 19th century, but it is way, way older than that. Okay. Like like hundreds of years older than that. In episode 14, if you remember when we talked to Jeanette Beringer about the Kravkoor, she said she found the same thing. Right. I think showing and breed standards started to show up in the mid to late 19th century. Right. But the Kravkoor and the Moran's are both way older than that. Right. So, in the southern part of France, there was a marsh hen. Okay. A marsh hen, right? And it was essentially a land race breed. So, that is the earliest origin of the Correct. So, British sailors coming into port would often leave behind their fighting cocks. Oh. I know. (laughs) A a disgusting sport that went on for far too long. Yeah, definitely. So, they would leave these fighting cocks in exchange for some of the native hens and eggs. Well, what happened if you set these fighting cocks free? They went and crossed with the native marsh hens. Exactly, right? <laughs> and they produced the first known cross of the breeds oh, that the Morans. the Morans, exactly. This went on for a couple of hundred years. And it left the Morans with uh, more than a little bit of the pugnacious personality of these game birds. So, this is where I see these birds. They're very people friendly. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, with people, they're great. But chicken bullies. They can be chicken bullies. Yeah. Mine are. I'm speaking only of mine. Like some other ones might not be. Mine? I've heard the same thing from other people. You know, it probably is flock. It probably depends on a lot of factors. And we tell them they come across it naturally. But the reality is they do tend to be, in a mixed flock, a more dominant breed. They want to rule the roost. Now, Uh here's the thing. In our flock, the Buff Warpingtons rule the roost. Yes, they can't get them down from that. That I think is sheer size and seniority. Because yeah. But Warpingtons pap- were your first chickens and they are big girls. And they sit under them. And then the poor everyone else that's under them oh, Lord. Because the Morans are trying to jockey for position by trying to dominate everyone else. Everybody else under uh-huh. them, watch out. Yeah. But to us, they're like, hey, how are you? They when? definitely like people. Let yeah. me snuggle with you. And then you put them down and they're like, oh, yeah, get out of my way. <laughs> I'm going after you, chicken. I know. They can be relentless. But they get it. I mean, if they come from fighting birds, well, they had to be a little, you know, assertive. Well, we'll say they're assertive. There's nothing wrong with an assertive head. Except when she's chasing your... Except when around. she's bullying the other chickens. Exactly. So the other big development for this breed came in the 19th century when Brahmas and Langshans were bred into the Marans. And that's probably where you got that that's, feathered. Yeah. Lead. After the Second World War, the Marans in France were in serious decline. Okay. So for the next 40 years, breeders worked to bring the breed back from endangered status. Okay. The French government worked alongside Marans Club and private breeders to increase the numbers. But they did find that the egg size, and especially the egg color, were suffering as as they tried to do this breed back program. Breeders had to work very carefully for a long time to improve the egg color, and as it is, the black copper Moran is still the variety that lays the darkest egg. They do, of all the Morans. They do, and a lot of times you think that you get every kind of Moran, you're going to get this chocolate colored egg. Nope. No, and like I was saying before, when we first started talking about the Morans, they can misfire. So you get a really dark egg one day and then a medium dark egg the next, but it's just, it's kind of fun. It's like a grab bag. What are you going to find out there? I laughed so hard one day. You showed me the eggs that were literally striped. They're striped. Literally striped. It's something going on with the way it's firing through there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great breed. And here's the thing. They're very, very popular. So there's lots of groups. Yes. That you can go on social media. You can Google and find lots of groups yeah. to find. People that love these chickens. There are at least two Moran's clubs in the U.S. I think one is more show-oriented and one is more pet bird-oriented. My question is, if you have a whole flock of Uh Moran's, would that be less chicken bullying? That's a good question. It's possible. Than if you have a mixed flock. I've heard people who have just Swedish flowers talk about how great they are. Mm -hmm. But we know my Swedish flowers in the mixed flock are like devil birds. If everybody is the same everybody's kind of kept in check there must be a pecking order but it might not be the same relentless level of bullying yeah exactly the like, next yeah so you know like when you have different levels of, of assertiveness in your chickens you have a highly assertive chicken it's going to come out more if you have maybe we should put the Swedish flowers and the brands together we talked about this before <laughs> <laughs> see what happens there oh lord yeah yeah. I don't know which one would win out. The Morans are slightly bigger than the Swedish flowers. So they those might. Are, those girls, those Swedish flowers, they are the definition of tenacity. And if, mine have berets, so they would just be like, oh. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> well, if you have a beret, of course that wins. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they wish, but they don't. So, as we were saying before, clubs. So there are at least two U.S. clubs. There's a a Moran club of the U.K. that has a lot of interesting history written up on their website. And the Moran's Club of France. Right. I think there may also be some Facebook groups. They're a popular chicken. And they're one now that's easy to find in your feed stores. Yes, I credit that straight back to Martha Stewart. Yeah. Because you never saw this chicken before she started featuring those eggs in her magazine. And then once one person sees these beautiful dark eggs and everybody's like, where did you get these dark eggs? Yes. And this is where. So everyone kind of wants them. Okay, everybody, so it's about that time that we're going to go have coffee with Fiona. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Hey, Fiona, how are you doing? Well, now I've got a theme song. I'm amazing. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be my new ringtone on my phone, definitely. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) I love it. So,
1: Hallie-Ann, we just finished talking about what... <laughs> yeah, our breed spotlight was the
0: Morans, and we know that you have a couple of black copper Morans. Yeah, we do. Uh, called Thunder and Lightning, and they live up to their names. Really? Thunder lays the biggest eggs you've ever seen in your entire life. They're 78 grams on average. Wow. Huge. That is a huge egg. And are they the dark brown that everyone wants? Very, very dark brown, yeah. A bit like a cabbage cream egg. Are we allowed nice. to have a
1: a plug? Yeah, <laughs> i get some a few that are speckled because we were just talking about morans and misfiring sometimes. Because I have the two cuckoo morans, and sometimes the eggs tend to be speckled or striped, and yeah. they
0: misfire. The pigment can be very irregular with your your cuckoo morans. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, lightnings are they're getting more irregular. Actually, she's getting a little bit older, but I think that's normal with age. And um, mm. one of the things I was told was that as, as the age, the pigment actually gets lighter. Oh. Okay. okay, okay. So, what is in general? What's your favorite thing about the breed? Just the enormous sizes of their eggs. <laughs> really there is nothing <laughs> wrong with a big egg. Nothing wrong. Yeah, I mean, they're not broody. So we keep them as egg layers. So when our Orpingtons are on brood, we still have eggs in the house. Okay. And they're, they're just so reliable. Nice. They're friendly. There's just nothing about them not to like. Nice. Now, how are they with
1: their sisters of the chicken world? Do they tend to be stronger in the flock
0: or... Well, Thunder, because of her sheer size, is head of the coop that she's in. So Not she's in with the old English pheasant fowl and the crested cream leg bars as well. And she rules that coop. She, she goes into sleep first. Yeah. And she's very, very grumpy when she's trying to get to sleep and the others are all coming in. But oh, other yeah. than that. Yeah, she's, um, she keeps control. She's very happy. It's been interesting with the avian influenza restrictions having been lifted very recently. We've had the Orpington separate from the egg-laying breeds and we've brought them back in together. Now, Ramesses, our breeding cockerel, has now obviously taken charge of all of Everyone. the chickens. And I saw him bop thunder on the head in a major way earlier this afternoon. Oh, wow. What did she do? She looked at him in sheer shock and then just went back to eating. It was like it was, what you? on earth is happening? Yeah. <laughs> oh no. It was upsetting the queen. Poor young girl. Oh yeah. Yeah. But she's taken to it beautifully. I was actually quite concerned because you know she's been so much in control mm-hmm. for four months. With the others, and uh, I thought there'd be a few problems, but no, they've merged beautifully. And he's just decided when she gets a little bit stroppy bop her on the head, sorts everything out. That
1: is crazy. Well, there you go, Chris. When your Cuckoo Morans are getting crazy, you just need to throw a in there. Yeah, I mean they want to roll the roost, but the bops roll the roost. So, I, so it sounds like as long
0: as the Morans get to
1: be in charge, it's probably harmonious. Yes.
0: I think some of it is actually more to do with the fact that the two Morans are slightly older than the others. And there does seem to be a seniority according to age, Mm -hmm. obviously with the exception of Ramesses, because he's the youngest chicken we've got. But probably he's a
1: boy much larger than, yeah. Yeah. He's a big guy. Oh yeah. He's big,
0: very big. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the poor Bard Rocks and Lucy the Leghorn get it from the Morans. They're just like, oh, we're going to rule you. That's the way it is. But then they turn around and the Buttercup and Bubbles, the bu- uh, Buff Orpingtons are like, excuse me?
0: I don't a, think and so. And they're a little bigger and they're older. So, <laughs> so yeah. They, yeah, they rule that coop. I just be- love the names Buttercup and Bubbles. they right? oh, <laughs> okay. orpingtons They're amazing. They're really cute.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. So
0: our conclusion with the Morans is that they're
1: fantastic with people. They're really friendly. You know, they're generally great layers but maybe they're not the best choice if you have very submissive breeds that they want to
0: boss around. I would probably say, yeah, unless they're all the same age, um, probably not because um, particularly if they're a lot bigger, if you've got any Bantams, I wouldn't even put them with Bantams. Okay, um, I agree. Personally, but that's my experience of them.
1: So now that we've talked breeds, I think we're going to go into – What we wanted to talk to Fiona about today is intervention when it comes to breeding, and that is when the chick is hatching Mm -hmm. and what you should or shouldn't do and what kind of plan you should have in place. So essentially, we want to come up with a breeding plan just in case things don't go the way
0: you think they will, all the things that can go wrong and how you can plan for them. Yeah, I mean, a backup plan I think is a really good idea, and it's worth sitting down just like with the plan for the because right. one egg hatched, you may get a hen, or you'll have 50% chance you get a cockerel instead. Right. right. So that's one plan to have, but to actually sit down before you breed and start hatching to decide what your backup is. What are you prepared to do? Do you actually need to buy any equipment? Mm-hmm. It's different for everyone. I mean, for me, I've got everything as backup. I mean, we do use broody hens right, to right. hatch, and we do use our broody hens to get our next generation. But we still have an incubator. We still have a brooder plate. We still have spare coops. We still make sure that if things go wrong, we can deal with it.
1: Oh yeah, right. I think if I ever get to the point where I actually am hatching or breeding something, I will be the same way. All of the equipment you could possibly have to cover any problem that might come up. Plus you have a best friend who was a veterinary technician for 15 years. Do you so have an incubator that I can borrow? I don't have an incubator. That's part of the equipment that you're going to need to get. Definitely. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> so, <laughs> But my knowledge is of that tech. I will be there to help you. Okay. Thank you. As long as it takes me to drive to your house. So
0: Fiona, what is the first scenario that if you're breeding you might want to be prepared for? The first one is that you could have hens trying to drag your greedy hen off the nest. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly if you've got we did talk about a brooding coop as one of the episodes. But this is really something to think about because if you don't have your broody hen in a separate coop, you're going to have the other hens coming in, wanting to lay eggs, potentially have fights and squabbles. Your eggs could get broken. Mm -hmm. You could have injuries to both hens because the broody hen will defend the nest. Right. Oh, yeah. Defend it in a major way. So do you want to separate them out or do you want to take that risk and just see what happens personally personally we always put our broody hens in a separate coop with a separate run get them out of the way yeah and if you're
1: serious about wanting it to work that would be the best decision to make is to make it as easy as you can on the broody hen and give her a spot that is comfortable and has everything she needs and she doesn't even have to deal with it you know, so that that doesn't even become an issue, you kind of can prevent that one from even happening. Yeah, if you set up separately, that's that's what I will definitely do for the safety of everybody involved, really. And let's look at it this way. If you have a separate run with a very small coop that you're going to use for breeding, that can also second as your hospital running coop. You can use it for multiple things, you know, if you have a chicken that's sick at some point, and again, as the broody coop. So double purpose, you can
0: get it. Absolutely. And that's what we use them for as well, if necessary, to isolate older hens and make sure that they're okay, and actually can go back to the flock without them being bullied. So yes, they've got all sorts of extra uses you can use them for. Okay, that's great. So why don't we go into the second scenario? Chicks take quite a lot of time to hatch out the egg. And what can normally happen is the chick will pip and then it can rest. And sometimes they rest for up to 12 hours. Wow. Yeah, it, it can take a long time. Some of them will carry on and nibble all the way around the top of the egg and push the, the way out. But a lot of them will rest for quite a long time. Now, if they take too long to get out of the egg, or if the humidity isn't high enough, they can actually dry out in that period when they're resting. Okay. And that means that they stick to the egg. Now, if they stick to the egg, they can't nibble around the top of the egg Mm-hmm, to so get out. they can't get out of the egg oh, absolutely no. and what you can end up with is a chicken site who's clearly having trouble trying to get out mm-hmm. calling cheeping incredibly loudly getting louder and louder and louder what do you do are you going to assist and this is a really 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 delicate operation to sort out okay because what you need to do is to be able to moisten the inside of the egg without causing the chick to drown or right. be put into any distress in any way. So not getting too cold either and gradually be able to peel the shell off the chick. And it okay. can take hours to go through this operation. Now, what I do say to people is don't even contemplate doing this unless you're prepared to take the time and be very slow because the chick skin is paper thin. Oh, absolutely yeah. wafer tissue thin. And you know yourself, if you're trying to peel something off that's stuck to something with skin so delicate, yeah, could end up ripping that skin so easily. So what could happen is if you don't take your time, you could end up putting the chick in more pain than it would to let it slip away naturally. Okay. So here's time. a question.
1: If that chick is under a broody hen, when that's happening, What does the broody hen normally do? Does she try to intervene and assist the chick or does she not?
0: She doesn't intervene at all. The broody hen won't help a chick out of the egg. They will simply walk off because at some point the older chicks will be wanting to go outside and the broody hen will normally on roughly the second day after hatching begins, will take the chicks outside for food and water. Whether there's food and water in the coop, they will still have a natural instinct to go out and almost hunt for food like they would in the wild. So they will take the chicks out. Any chicks which have failed to hatch at that point or are not ready to follow the booty hen will be left behind. And that's actually the third scenario to think about. Right. What are you going to do in those circumstances?
1: Here's the other thing. So- if you have an incubator and you put the humidity up higher, can you take the egg, if you're trying to intervene and help, and put this in the incubator, put the egg with the chick in the incubator for a little while to moisten and help her, give her some time to get a little bit more strength to get herself out of the egg?
0: It depends how long it's been going on for. If they are too adhered to the inside of the shell by the point they go into the incubator, no, it's not gonna work. But if only just started to stick and they've still got a little bit of wiggle room, which allows the humidity to get into the egg and add a little bit moisture. Yeah, absolutely. They'll still be able to get out of the egg.
1: So that's the other thing. Having an incubator on hand, even if you're using a broody hen is part of that breeding plan and is a good thing to do. In case this happens and you want
0: to intervene, you will need an incubator. That's one of the biggest reasons why we have one is to take care of those chicks because there will be chicks as well, which have just hatched. They won't have dried out. They won't be strong mm-hmm. enough to follow the broody hen out, but we've got the opportunity to give them a chance because yes. otherwise they'll die of hypothermia. Yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. Incubator. And that's what would happen out in you know out of the domestic and environment; those chicks right. would just die. So right. the
1: incubator can be a breeder's best friend in assisting and intervening and giving you a tool, as we say, in the toolbox mm-hmm. to go yeah, to, to help you. So it's yeah. really a good thing to have, really, like with all these uses. I feel like it would behoove me
0: to invest in the best incubator I could possibly afford because it has yeah, I mean, different uses. Yeah we actually have two we have a very very cheap one and we have a very good quality one and they have uses in two different ways we the very cheap one we never use it as an incubator but what we do use it for is for those chicks which have actually managed to get out of the egg but aren't strong enough to follow the greedy hen it's a nice little warm environment Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be great at incubating. It doesn't need to turn any eggs well. It doesn't need to really monitor the temperature too closely. As long as it's in a rough parameter, it's okay. Right. Okay. And um, the chicks have a chance to recover. And humidity, because they're already out of the egg, humidity doesn't matter as much either. Right. So the very cheap incubator is great for that but they're not good at incubating it has to be said so it it will handle the drying and warming part of this yeah
1: it almost feels like we've had our mishap with our delivery of our chicks being chilled right this could be another tool in the toolbox In the U.S., you get one day old chicks shipped to you. And in the shipping process, they're chilled. That might even be a good tool in the toolbox to have just for that. To be able to tuck a baby in there would have made a lot. I mean, again, we we had some things in place and we ended up using a hairdryer on our chick that we didn't think would make it. And luckily she pulled through, but it would have been wonderful
0: to have a warm space like that to tuck her into to recover. Yeah,
1: exactly. So you could get dual purposes out of it for sure.
0: Yeah, you can buy them very, very cheaply on places like eBay. We actually got ours. I think it was shipped from China, actually, and it was, I think it was twenty pounds. It was really okay. cheap. <laughs> yeah, so it's um, a
1: good.
0: That is a good and inexpensive tool. Yeah, but, but you've on. also then got the, you've also then got the problem of giving the chicks back to the broody hen as well, because oh. you can't give them back straight away. So having a brood plate or a heat lamp is a necessity too Mm -hmm. because they need to be kept warm for a reasonable amount of time and usually what we do is let the chick gather a lot of strength you know till it looks like a normal chick it's fluffed up and it's running around and it's a little bit enthusiastic then we wait till that next night wait till the broody hen is asleep and then we just slip the chicken underneath Mm -hmm. the wing and it naturally burrows its way underneath the broody hen the broody hen doesn't wake up doesn't even bat an eyelid and then it's part of the little group the next morning it works really well we've never had it fail
1: and what we've talked about in the past is the brincy and the heat lamp working together in conjunction you can use both and both together are wonderful having those things and i can't say it enough all these tools in your toolbox or your plan be prepared because when stuff happens you're going to be upset. You're not going to be thinking straight, but if you have the proper tools, you can help and you can right. intervene. That's why it's a plan where exactly. you're taking action ahead of time to make sure you have these things in reserve in case you need yeah. them, right then and there. It takes the yeah. stress off of you a little bit because mm-hmm. you've pre-thought about something. So you're like, okay, this happened. This is why I have this. Let's do it. Otherwise, you're kind of going to be fight or flight and you're not going to be able to think straight and you're not going to have the equipment that you need.
0: And no, you please. only need to buy them once. That's exactly. it. Once That's you sold them, you've got them.
1: Exactly. That's true. Okay, Fiona, what's the next leg
0: of our plan? Pasty butts.
1: Ooh. Yes. There's
0: no response to that really, <laughs> is there?
1: <I> mean, <laughs> we got quiet. We're like, oh, yeah,
0: I've been there, done <laughs> that. The pasty butt. Mm-hmm. Just in case not every listener knows what pasty butt is, pasty butt is this lovely thing that chicks have where they poop and they don't know how to squat. So the feces get caught on the down feathers. Mm -hmm. It dries. Then the next poop that comes out gets caught on that and it builds up and it builds up. And then it sets like concrete. It really does set like concrete. And there's a myth out there that pasty butt doesn't happen with broody hens. I can guarantee it does. Okay. Absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. you see. Every I room. think it probably happens less with goody hens, but okay. it does happen. And so do you deal with it pretty much the same way we do, where you're just cleaning all the time or what do you do? Little cotton buds, warm water, Okay, that's exactly, in exactly in a, what we do. A, okay, yeah, very careful, very slowly. Mm-hmm. And this is where uh, mistakes can be made again because it sets like concrete, it's mm-hmm. got to be slow, can't rush it. Because the chicks, once they're a few days old, their skin is a little bit more robust, but still not that robust. So, moving too fast, skin can be easily torn. So, it happened to us. So we,
1: we were cleaning up one of the Egyptian Fayumi chicks. And they are very, very active little girls. And we had one almost clean and she just jerked her body and the feathers tore a little bit. There was a little bit of blood. We felt so terrible. We cleaned it up and we put some silver Accidents it Accidents happen though. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's still,
0: I mean, it still gives me chills when I think about it. She was so tiny and she was fine. But, it's but just it is so easy. Of. It's mm-hmm. it's so so easy, yeah. and it is one of these things where just slow and steady, but things still will happen, right. and you just need to be prepared for that. I mean, you had your first aid kit on hand, and this yes. was the other thing actually to be prepared for: have a very basic first aid kit on hand, ready to roll, just to be on the safe side.
1: Yeah, and we always say that with the chicks. You will need a slightly different first aid kit mm-hmm. and or a yeah. section of your first aid kit just for the chicks, which I think we talk about in Chicks 101. 101. Mm-hmm. We talk back. So Brilliant. if you're hearing this and you you want to know about it, go back to Chicks 101 and re-listen. We talk about the separate parts that you will need for chicks, cotton balls and warm water mm-hmm. will definitely help. And you can just very warm soak. And if you even in the very first few days, what I do is check them Multiple times during the day, yeah, definitely. so you catch it before it even gets hard, and then Which you is, can just get it off. Probably easier if they're in a brooder than if the broody hen has them. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, with a with a broody hen, um, there is a little bit of a difficulty. It's it's easy to get the chicks at night when they're roosting with mum. Okay. but mum is very defensive if they're out during the day and particularly if right. free-ranging like ours. I mean, ours are very calm, so it is a little bit easier for us to catch them than probably it would be for other people. Okay. But I had this bought as a joke gift for me and it actually works really, really well. Do you remember when you were younger, you might have gone out to gather frog spawn with the little net, which yeah. has, it's almost like, Of loosely woven cloth it's not a net as such yes okay Mm -hmm. so if you catch a chick with one of those you're not going to hurt it because there's no little holes really for it little wings to get caught in okay this thing is amazing and it's got a telescopic handle on it so if I ever need to use it it's an easy way to catch those chicks which are running around because with pasty butt, as you know yourself, I mean, chicks eat so much, they go through so much material because they're growing so fast. Mm -hmm. They poop a lot. And with pasty butt, unless you get on top of it very quickly, it can actually cause them serious problems, even kill them quite quickly. Yes, Yes. And what we say too
1: is we sometimes crumble a little bit of oatmeal And add it on top of their food. Someone told me that. And it it works. It was like an old time chicken keeper. I cannot remember who told me this. They told me this years ago, crumble a little bit of oatmeal. If it's the old fashioned or the quick oats, you can just crumble it. If it's uh, more of a whole oat, you can give it a zip in a coffee grinder or something like that. And it does seem to work. I don't know why. I guess maybe it firms things up a little Add, more. It added fiber, maybe. Yeah, not? a little bit of fiber to it. Yeah. And yeah, so it, it works. You can just crumble it right on top of the food a little, a bit, little bit, not right. a lot.
0: Yeah. And yeah. that was one I of mean, the to things. be honest, we've moved away from chick crumb and we get some tiny, tiny micro pellets now. So they're compressed into Little, little micro pellets. And we haven't had as much pasty button chips at all since oh, we nice. been using that. I've nice. looked for And nice. it doesn't cause as much mess either in their feeders. It's yeah. much nicer all the Crumble, They kick sure? the crumble everywhere. I mean, yeah. We're yeah. like
1: cleaning brooders like twice, three times a day over mm-hmm. here. <laughs> I looked for the micro crumbles after you mentioned them
0: to us once before, and I did not find them here yet. What you might be able to find is uh, quail food. Now quails obviously need a much smaller size pellet. Right. Oh, the yeah. only thing to be aware of is that they will have some calcium in them. So clearly they can't eat that for a long period of time because right. the calcium could potentially damage the kidneys. Okay. okay yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, we'll just keep our fingers crossed that micro pellets for chicks show up here soon. So I think we're ready to move on to the final thing that you really need to be aware of accidents can happen with chicks and a broody
0: hen yeah I mean chicks are so tiny and broody hens are so big and actually this is true through an incubator or a brooder because right. you could have chicks trying to jump out of uh, if you've got them in a box or if you've got them in an old tin bath whatever you're keeping them in they could try and jump out get themselves into difficulty torn skin, they could peck each other, right. there's all sorts of things that could happen. But with broody hens, because they're so big, there is a chance that there could be crush injuries. It does happen. Right. A lot of the breeds that we use for brooding tend to be bigger, Cochins, Brahmas, Orpingtons. Yeah. And the thing is, those, those injuries are normally catastrophic with a crush injury. So actually there's nothing to think about because the solution is final but it can happen that they can be injured sometimes badly sometimes not so badly and it's really just sitting down as a family before you go through this process and think at one what point am I going to intervene at what point do I need to get a vet involved Do I need to make a decision to um, stop that chick having pain before we even manage to get it to a vet? What are the criteria for me to take action and what is that action going to be? Now, we actually have one fantastic Orpington called Frankie. And I might have mentioned it before. I called her my disabled chicken mm-hmm. because she had a very, very serious injury. When she was about three three days old, um, her brood hen stood on her head. Now, that injury should have been fatal, but she was still running around. She had a flattened head. She'd lost a lot of the skin from one side of her head. She was showing no sign of pain. No sign of slowing down, and we did take advice from a vet okay. because this is an injury which normally we would have put her out of her misery, quite frankly. But right. she she wasn't miserable. We talked Sorry, about Frankie but- in episode nineteen because you said her weight is not as high as most Orpingtons because she's never eaten properly. No, she does have side effects now, so she has difficulty in seeing. She has never eaten a, a full amount, so she is quite underweight. Mm-hmm. But she is running around, she is healthy, she is a good member of the flock. She's Mm -hmm. not the bottom of the hierarchy by any stretch of the imagination Mm -hmm. of that. She's probably at the top of the middle half of the hierarchy. So clearly her Um, quality of life is high, is excellent, right? Yeah. Yeah, and actually she's one of her most prolific and successful broody hens as well. She is so gentle with the checks. You have never seen anything like it. She's wonderful. wonderful. But she runs with a pronounced limp. Okay.
1: So here's the thing. Before anyone starts brooding, the most responsible thing is to think about your plan and think about the equipment that you're going to get and that you're going to potentially need. And the last part is, if you have a veterinarian that treats your chickens regularly, to have them on speed dial and know if you need to intervene with them to do it. Sometimes that's not always possible. And then that's when you have to sit down as a family and, you know, know if you need to take a further step within the family, and you can't get to the vets, who and when that's going to happen. But the main thing is, have the plan. Yeah, you don't want to try to make the decision when this has happened and you have this cu- this problem right in front of because you. Because you're going to be emotional, it's going to be
0: sad, and you're going to be fight or flight. So, having the plan yeah. will I panicked. Yeah, of course. I mean, an 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 the first time we experienced all of these scenarios, I panicked, you know, and I think that's a natural reaction. Yes. So, Definitely. that's not the time to have to think about what am I going to do? Right. And that's the glory
1: of all of this. And this is why we like to talk to you about these things, because this is what you do. You've come across these problems. And we're trying to prevent someone else from having that panic. When you have the toolbox and everything right there. Yeah, you're going to have you're going to panic at first, but you have the tools to help you're prepared, you're prepared. Mm -hmm. And you know that these things are a possibility. As in life, we wish every single chick would just hatch and be beautiful and healthy. But we have to be a little realistic and know that that may not happen every time. So to have these things on hand will help you immensely. It's the kind of preparation that really allows you to be a responsible breeder. Yeah.
0: I mean, you just, you want to help Absolutely. them anyway. Yeah, and I I don't want anyone to listen to this conversation and think that this is the norm. These things will always happen. Mm -hmm. Right. But they do happen. You won't be able to breed chickens and not come across at least one of these scenarios. It's virtually impossible.
1: Being a vet tech for 15 years, I'm calm, cool, and collected. I ran a trauma team for many years. So I ran the techs that would come in and told them what to do in a trauma. But when it's my own animals, I'm not... As calm, cool, and collected without a plan.
0: No. I wish I'd had plan. you on speed dial.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Joe always says to me, you handled this a million times over. And I said, but it's different when it's your own. Have that plan in place. That's why we wanted to come to you. You're the expert on breeding. You know about it. And we Thank can you. share our information with everybody. Yeah, it's not an easy conversation to have. It's not fun. It's, all, it's not all laughs, but being prepared and taking some of your
0: suggestions can go a long way. But there are some amazing things with checks. That's the best thing about them. There are a lot of things to think about. There are a lot of things to plan for, but the rewards are amazing, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, definitely. And yeah. And, and you know what? Just being prepared will make those rewards even better because you won't even have to second guess anything. You'll just be happy in the happy moments and be prepared for the ones that may not be happy.
0: But if there was one thing I would say out of this whole lot, whatever you do, buy an incubator, buy a Buddha plate or heat lamp. That's
1: excellent advice. Those are really the essentials to
0: have on hand. Yeah.
1: And if you can, and if you're going the broody hen way, and you know that you're going to do that in the future, invest in a small coop and make a yard. Mm-hmm. That you can use as a broody hen yard and coop and a hospital yard and coop. Believe me, we've all been there, we've all had those things happen. So those that, things absolutely. probably I would have, I would imagine, you know, having the broody coop in your right there, you're going to cut down statistically on your chances of accidents. Yeah, you can knock out yes. a few of them just by pressing. right. So Fiona, yeah. what is your
0: absolute favorite thing about breeding? Watching the broody hens and the chicks running around the grass, watching them running around those fields is just—I sit for hours. Honestly, oh. you sit with your coffee and watch your chickens. Yes, I could never actually get up from my seat on some days sitting with a coffee watching them. It just makes me so happy. Better than TV. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it, it is. It's a is chicken day. TV. It's great. Chicken yeah. TV. <laughs> it's chicken TV. <laughs> That's great.
1: It's awesome. So we want to thank you for coming on again Mm -hmm. and sharing all of your tips Thanks for having me. Once again, we do want to tell you that Fiona has a YouTube channel, English English Country Country Life. Life. And go ahead over, show her some love, subscribe. And the videos that you put on are absolutely beautiful. Thank you. So informative and so educational. I will have links to all of them in the show notes as well. Yes.
0: So thank you again. And I'll have an accompanying video for this discussion as well. So everyone can see some of the examples and the visuals that go with it. Also linked in the show notes
1: and check it out because again, as Chrissy said, the videos are beautiful and you learn tons. Yes. So until next time, Thank you. cheers. Bye. Thanks Fiona. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. So we're ready to move on to our main topic. I'd say so. What we want to talk about today are the five top favorite heritage breed layers. These are the ones that are going to lay the most eggs for you. Right, and we went with heritage breeds just to push for the breeds that are on the left at Conservancy's poultry Conservation List. Exactly. And of the five, we have three of the five, don't we? Yes. So we're right up there in egg production. Absolutely. Well, one is not laying eggs yet. That's okay. She will. Oh, she She will. She'll outlay everyone. (laughs) According to Joe. So you go ahead with our first. What's our number one? Leghorn. Yeah. The white egg. They lay roughly five eggs a week. I'm telling you, Show Miss lays every single day. Mine, Lucy the Leghorn. She's Lucy a is here. like a laying machine. Yeah. But I'm gonna tell you this. We've said it before. They don't under eat. People say, "Oh, get this bird. She doesn't need as much feed." Well, I think the thing is, especially in industrial setting, they that can, they the, can get by with less feed, and they might be, get a smaller ration. But in your flock, Lucy gets to eat all she wants, <laughs> and she eats tons. Lucy, I love that chicken. She's our number one She's like leg one Yeah. Our second is the Polish. Okay, how can you go wrong with stylish and a great leg? Absolutely. Egg, egg layer. Um, again, a white egg. I actually didn't know they were such good layers until recently. No, not until we started researching when them. But I've seen them described as, and I quote, insistent layers. They're like, I got to lay an egg. So they're often five a week as well. Okay, now the third is a breed that you have, the Dominique, which we talk about early on. Episode three. Yes. Go listen to episode three. (laughs) Episode three needs more (laughs) love. The Dominique is a fantastic chicken. They lay a light brown sort of pinkish egg. And you have Miss Dolly. Dolly lays four to five eggs a week. She's a fantastic layer, fantastic personality. She deals with the Swedish flowers just fine. Oh, so she's in there with them too. Yeah, but she's very gentle and she hangs out with the brahmas a lot of the time too. She's like, please save me. If the grid went down in post-apocalyptic world and you had to pick the chicken that worked best in your environment, it would be Dominique for me all day long. I don't know which one mine would be. Mine are going to be sleeping on my head in my bed because apparently everybody said that if that happens. They're going to come after my chickens. And I'm like, oh, no. The bed's going to be really full. <laughs> if it's a post-apocalyptic world where people respect your flock of chickens <laughs> and they're going to be free-ranging, I'd go with Dominique. Otherwise, if they had to be in bed with me, you know it's the Brahma's. <laughs> Okay, so so the next one is the Rhode Island Red Spicy. So we have one. and She's a baby. She's not laying uh-huh. yet. And her name is spicy. And we should note that this is the non-production Rhode Island Red. The same as the leghorn is right. the non-production exactly. leghorn. So we will, we will find out how she does with laying eggs. She'll be a great layer. She really will. Let's say this. We've talked about Rhode Island Reds before uh-huh. and how they kind of have a personality that's less than snuggly. Right. This chicken, snuggler. Well, she was a really bold chick from day one. Oh yeah, but bold in a good way. Yeah, yeah, she's very really char- she charming. She looks you dead in the eye. Yes, she's looked you dead in the eye from day one. Oh, she Really has. She runs to you and wants to be with you. Yeah, she's really she's a real sweetheart. So how this one will play out, we'll see. Well, you can expect four to five beautiful brown eggs from her per week. Her and Lucy would be best friends. Yeah, stick. With so our last chicken is not one we have profiled yet, although we are going to do them in an upcoming episode. And neither one of us has. Right. And they're beautiful chickens. Oh, yeah. We were looking at pictures. Yeah. It is the Lakenbelder. Yes. They lay a cream egg. You're looking at four to five eggs a week again. They're beautiful and black and white chickens. Beautiful chickens. Yeah. They really are. The interesting thing to me, let's see, what do we have? We have two American chickens, one Italian chicken. And then two continentals. Yeah. So we're all across the board. We're a mixed bags. Yeah, exactly. Good stuff. Good stuff. All these chickens lay great eggs. Fantastic breeds. Oh yeah. And there's something good about every single one of these Absolutely. breeds. Absolutely. So you can't go wrong. If you want high backyard production, right. one of these breeds should be at least one of your chickens. Absolutely. Okay, we're gonna move on to we get to double crack every week now. I know. We are cracking some eggs. Cracking the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Spring frittata. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a spring frittata. We're staying simple with our cracking eggs this week because we are up to our eyeballs in garden party planning. Garden party. Yeah. I wanted to do this because I just like to say frittata. Frittata, Yes. Frittata. A lot of different ethnicities and nationalities have a version of the frittata. You can make it your own in any way, shape. Absolutely. You know. Frittatas are an Italian dish, similar to an omelet or a crustless quiche, but generally cooked in a skillet on your strip top. This is what I do all the time. Uh huh. I make frittatas all the time. They're usually full of vegetables, meat, cheese, and my favorite leftover pasta. Oh yeah. It's fantastic in a frittata. It's a rustic dish, can be served for any meal, though it's often used for dinner. Yes. A quick, easy, and very good dinner. I mean, you partially cook on the stovetop. Yeah. Then pop it in the oven to finish baking it. I don't usually pop it in the oven. Oh, I do. I do it, I do it a different way. Okay. So I was taught when your frittata is cooked, it's mostly set. You slide it onto a plate and invert the plate back over the skillet. Oh, so you steam the rest of it? Basically? No, you flip it over. Oh. So it's cooking from the bottom that way. Well, oh, okay. I mean, you can pop it in the oven. That's what I've done before. Yeah. Th- that's why I use the cast iron because it goes directly into, into the, the oven. oven. I was taught the plate inversion method. Huh. So and that's what I'm used to. So awesome. Yeah. Our spring frittata, we kept it simple. Yes. It has fresh sweet green peas, chopped radishes and greens, and asiago cheese. Yes. For the cheese eaters, I used vegan mozzarella. I'm really jealous of that asiago. <laughs> That's, that's good the cheese. one thing I think I would really miss is the cheese. Yeah, that is by far the hardest part for me. I mean, it's kind of hard to get cheese. You can't. I mean, vegan cheese, as we've said before, is tasty. It's, it's better than no cheese at all. Right. But it's, it's not cheese. It's, it's not, cheese. not cheese. It's not cheese. So I do miss cheese very much, but that's okay. Here's the other thing, which Pete will be happy. The frittata is served in a pie slice. Yes. Because we know that Pete loves pies. He loves the pies. The only thing he loves better than pie is cake. Okay. So, but he can pretend this is dessert, but yeah. it's really dinner. He married the right woman. <laughs> he did. <laughs> so, so the frittatas are usually cut in wedges, as you were saying, like a pie. Yep, and served alongside salad or vegetables. Yeah, put asparagus in the frittata, yeah. which would be really good. I mean, there's just so many things you could do. Absolutely, you could make a pizza frittata. And then all Pete would be all over that. If you served him a slice of pizza frittata, so so say like you can't have. uh crust and you put pizza sauce yeah. in there Yeah. and then you kind of just put the cheese melt the cheese exactly low carb yep and really good i mean you can do so many things with this you and can. with so many eggs you need egg ideas right now Absolutely. for sure. yeah okay so send us your pictures we want to see all yeah. the recipes we want to see you guys making these things simple delicious can't go wrong using other so eggs yeah so let's move on to bri therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. So retail therapy this week is something that we've been going crazy with lately. It's a new passion of ours. Yes, it is. And we're searching everywhere. Yeah. As everyone knows out there, we are thrifters. We love thrift stores. No, we never talk about thrifting. <laughs> it's the thrill of the hunt of treasure. It is. The three-legged chair. We have to find it. <laughs> what or do we talk about the three-legged chariots so people have a, a I'm choice. not sure we go in one of our episodes it might have been Vintage Roosters Okay. When we talk about getting vintage roosters, I mentioned that a long time ago, when Joe and I were first married, we saw this show that said, there's a three-legged chair out there worth a million dollars. So this is if you're thrifting, what things you should keep your eye out yeah. for. So he's always looking for the three-legged chair. Yes. Yeah. But he's got a good eye in his thrift store. Today we were thrifting with my husband, Joe. Yeah. And uh, he loves to show us the stuff. Yeah. He's got a good eye. He's he got does. He does transfer where... Um, for you, Saucers, yeah, it's good stuff. It was so vintage egg dishes, and by vintage egg dishes, we mean deviled egg plates. Oh yes. Yeah. So again, if you have, we've talked about deviled eggs in another episode. Uh-huh. You can make that recipe your own, yes. and you want to serve it on a really cool dish. And these dishes have little cutouts for the eggs. Yes, yeah, a little oval so they, because deviled eggs will slide around. If they'll they'll try slide, tear them in a platter. Deviled eggs themselves became fashionable in the 1930s as a snack to accompany like drinks and cocktails. Oh, yeah. Uh, Makes perfect sense. Who doesn't like deviled eggs? Everybody loves they them. They really are delicious. But as a result, potteries and china and glass companies started designing and mass-producing egg dishes that would make pretty serving pieces and stop the eggs from sliding around. You can find them in a wide variety of materials and finishes, and they usually turn up regularly in thrift stores and online marketplaces. Oh, yeah. Those are the places to check for them. Number one, thrift stores. Uh-huh. Number two, online, such as eBay. Etsy, yeah. And Etsy. Uh-huh. And those places you are going to pay a little bit more, Right. But sometimes they have the manufacturer identified for you already. Right. They can tell you what period they're from. Now, here's the thing. I'm on Facebook just as me too sometimes. And I search marketplace sometimes to see if there's somebody local that's selling something. Right. I just got the best two vintage egg dishes. Yeah, they're really good From ones. a local, another local uh-huh. woman who was selling them. And you can find them anywhere. You can. Some of the popular manufacturers are Fire King. Yes. Which you'll know if you collect anything vintage. Anchor Hocking. Yep. The Indiana Glass Company. Yes. Spode. Fenton. Fenton Glass, yeah. Hazel Atlas. And, and my most <laughs> favorite, Pyrex. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So anybody who knows me knows that I collect. You are the Pyrex queen. Vintage Pyrex yeah. and Fire King. Right, vintage right. Fire King. Mm-hmm. The other thing about Fire King is Fire King is the older version of Anchor Hawking. Anchor Hawking bought out Fire King. So if you find something that's marked Fire King, it's probably older than yes. Anchor Hawking. And both are fantastic. Yeah. But Fire King's going to be the older version okay. of something. And I love Fire King as much as I love Pyrex. Uh-huh. I love this stuff. I love it so much of their stuff is milk glass. I love milk glass. Oh, yeah. When we were looking, we've been in thrift stores and finding these egg dishes. Right. And loving it. Yeah. And then we realized you got one the other day. It was a fire king. That I already had. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny, yeah. That's a, it's a really nice egg plate. I think we'll when we both, one. when we looked at each other, I was like, I already have that yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I got to score of that one. So some versions are really fancy and include coordinating salt and pepper shakers. Oh, yeah. Sometimes in the shape of uh, chicken. Yep. Really cool. We've seen them as eggs as well, salt and pepper shakers. There can be really plain, round dishes. Clear. Some that are footed. Yes. Like a cake plate. In animal shapes like the two that you just got. Yes. They can be glass, both transparent and colored. There's some milk glass. There's some clear colored glass. And also, I had a such a dear friend of mine give me one that was her grandmother's. Oh, cool. Because she's like, you can use this way more than me. Okay. They're just so cool to collect. They really are. You can find them in porcelain fine china. You can find them in sturdier ceramics. And occasionally, you can find wooden ones, which are wow. beautiful. you have never yeah. seen it. Here's the other thing. If you want to display your actual eggs uh-huh. for a really pretty picture... Use one of these trays. My mom used to put eggs in them when we dyed them for Easter. Yeah, Not I even mean the deviled egg, the whole egg. Oh yeah, unpeeled. Yeah, that's dyed. what I'm saying. Like if you wanna, I've done it before for us. Yeah. I use the the vintage egg dish that my friend gave me, right? And it puts them perfectly where you want them to oh, be. Yeah, yeah. It's great, and they're so much fun. Uh huh. And we were looking today. We were just out looking. We were online looking, how many? Oh, there's tons of them. You're not going to get them for less than $10 on the computer, though. Nowhere near. Yeah, you need to pay shipping. If you find them in person, depending on the make and the value, you can find a lot of them that are 10 and under. But if you're buying them from someone who knows that, hey, this is a Fire King, you're probably not going to pay a premium for that one. Exactly. So it's best to find them in the wild. <laughs> <laughs> Collectors speak for out there. Out there in a thrift store
0: or yard sale,
1: whatever. Facebook marketplace. Yeah. Sometimes if local people are like, I don't want this anymore. Right. I want to sell it. So those are really good yard sales, like you said. Yeah. Once we get back to yard sale, that'll be soon. I hope so. So Kovals, you know who the Kovals are? Yes. Yeah, they do antique valuing. They note that a deviled egg dishes were at the height of their popularity in the fifties. Makes sense. Right and, and sort of going into the sixties. But they're still made today. Yeah, it makes sense because back then there was a rise in backyard chicken keeping. And there's so much chicken just like chicken stuff made in the fifties, glasses and yes, all stuff. All of kinds of stuff because we've talked about this many times on the podcast. You want what you're doing to represent you. You want to be surrounded with things that you love or so represent the things you love, your late, late 50s, 60s, there was a rise in backyard chicken keeping. Uh-huh. A lot of stay-at-home moms, and houses had more space. Right. So they wanted a flock of chickens. Plus, we're coming off of the Depression in the 30s. Right, parties. the wars. So let's get eggs in case something happens. Sure. Let's get chickens and They have the eggs. There's so much stuff made mid-century. Yeah. That is chickens, because so many people were into chickens, kind of like right now. Right. Right now, without the rush to modernization. Yeah. The industrial part going along with this. Yeah. I kind of think that's on a decline right now. Probably. Which is good. Yes. (laughs) I mean, Alyssa was telling me the other day, she went to a store and they were selling blue and brown eggs. Yeah, I saw them as well. For a premium, looks like $6 for a dozen. In a store that normally does not charge that much. Exactly. So it is a turn to go back to natural, which we've talked about before. Right. But these vintage egg dishes were a way to serve up your absolutely. eggs from your backyard. So they were popular. They're absolutely lovely addition to a party spread because as we've said a thousand times, who doesn't like deviled eggs? Which we're going to have at our garden park. We really are. We're going to have plenty of them. We talk about our favorite deviled egg variations in episode nine. Yes. The five ways. There to- was a lot of them. Yeah. And actually, there's even more ways. Oh, tons of ways. You can, it's another thing because our recipes we love to put out there to make your own. Yeah put your own mark. And that's why this is what we do. Right. We are about chickens. Yes, we are. So we're like, okay, let's put it out there. Chicken vintage dishes. (laughs) They're so cool. It's like you can't go wrong with it. No, you can't. They're fantastic. So that leads us to what are we talking about next week? Well, next week, we're going to talk about the dorking. Yes. A heritage breed chicken. We're also going to celebrate (laughs) 5,000 <laughs> downloads. Our 5,000 download garden party extravaganza. Oh, yes. That is going to be fun. It's going to be super fun. Cracking the eggs, we're going to do my lemon curd recipe. Yes. Which, because at a garden party. And it, it's really delicious. as a whole egg lemon curd. Yes. It's just, it's an amazing recipe. You can't get wrong with it. It's going to be so, so much fun. Yeah. Join us next week. But until then. And hug your chickens every day. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show so that we can bring you even more high-quality chicken content, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. Thanks for listening. (laughs)
0: Ha ha ha.